See to your car, you wind up and somebody steals them? Well, Leonard Beck came back to his car, parked his car in the lot in the Winwood Shopping Center on Wednesday last week, and he got home. He found a brand new portable colored television set in its package in the back seat of his car. <laughs> Congratulations. You're this week's winner, Leonard. And uh, why did he call the cops? Here's a listen to this one. Uh, this is what cops have to put. Yeah, you, you, you see, how many times have you seen police shows, you know, like uh, Adam-12, Dragnet? They never have this kind of stuff. And this is the real police bother. The family of Leland Warren of 721 State Road, Penn Valley, hadn't complained about the obscene telephone calls that were received for weeks. And it just kept coming in. But when, or they didn't even complain about the obscenities that were yelled at their house from smut mouths passing by. This is the uh, police blotter. But when somebody, I don't quite know how to uh, say this on the air, answered a call of nature on their front doorstep last Sunday, it was too much. They called police finally. <laughs> Can you imagine? Adam 12, Adam 12. Well, I'm at 422 and a half, Bryn Mawr Road, a guy has just, that's been censored, on the front porch of another guy, go out and investigate it, run away. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. And uh, here's another one from the uh, from the police blotter, Beulah Prince of Rosemont, placed her white pocketbook on the roof of her car temporarily when she made a stop on North Roberts Road, Bryn Mawr, on Friday. It wasn't there when she got to the supermarket. <laughs> well, you know, one day I, I was driving down the turnpike, the Jersey turnpike. It's a very difficult thing. And a guy goes past me, and he had a Cadillac, big, fat Cadillac, you know, with the big flat hood. And he goes past me, and I'm just driving along there in the center lane. And I noticed something when he went past on the back of his hood or his trunk. You know, he had a big flat trunk. I see a wallet. It's a wallet on the back. And he just goes right by me. He seems like, uh-oh, I could just see what happened. You know, the guy got out, he got some gas, and he got out, he gave the guy the credit card or whatever it was, and he's looking for his papers, and he puts the wallet down for a minute, and he's looking for his keys and all that. And finally he gets back in the car and goes, and there's the wallet on the back of his... You know, he, who knows what he had in the thing. So, oh, good Samaritan Shepherd, right? Shepherd floors it. He tries to catch up with the guy. So he's booming along in a Cadillac and a big fat type guy with a cigar, you know. Shepherd goes barreling down trying to get his attention, see? So I'm starting to wave, and he gives me this fantastically dirty look, you know, like 
he figures he's being uh, propositioned out there or something. He's saying, oh, no, you know, bang the car. And uh, he just floored that car. And he goes, away he goes. Off in the distance, the cloud of dust. Now, I don't know whatever happened to that wallet, but I wonder how many, you know, guys, hey, listen, uh, speaking of uh, little subtle things like that, the uh, silly, it's, you know, world is getting sillier by the minute. Is, is there anything that you find more irritating? Personally, I get I get very irritated at the fake letters that you constantly, and real fake letters, that are supposed to be from kids. Every couple of months, there's 500 of those printed in, say, like the Reader's Digest, letters from camp. And they're so funny. Like, uh, dear mom, I ate a snake today. How are you? You know, because kids don't write that. Blah. You want to hear a real kid letter? Now, here's a real kid letter now. I just got this today. This is a genuine kid letter. If you want to hear the real thing, and it's scrawled out, and my name ain't Art Lake Letter, I'm just telling you what a real kid writes. And it's from uh, Connecticut. I won't tell you what Tom, because he's liable to get his behind whopped. Uh, that's a serious. And it says, such and such a place, Avenue, Connecticut. And it says, date, early. I you kids funny things. Apparently, you wrote this early in the morning, say, and it says, Dear Gene, and it's written on note paper with three holes on it, say, school paper. It says, Dear Gene, great big, very, uh, very round writing, like he's been working, you know, on ovals in school and all that. It says, Dear Gene, I am a 10-year-old boy who loves your show, period. My mother and father shut off the radio last night because they thought I'd wake up earlier this morning. Period. I played a trick on them. I didn't wake up for a long time. <laughs> it's a little crumb. You know, he just pretend like he's asleep. See? But write back anyway for more convincing talk. And what is that? Enigmatic remark. Do that, please. Period. How's your friend, Schwartz and Bruner? See ya. Hygiene. Ha <laughs> ha. Remember that? <laughs> You remember that bit I did about every time when I was a kid? You know, everybody, I still get it all the time. You know, people walk down the street and say, Hi, Gene. Ha, oh, that's a joke. Oh, hi, Gene. You know, ha, oh, ha, boy, that's a clean name. Ha, ooh. That's a bad joke. The kid says, Hi, Gene. Remember that? Ha, uh, an admirer. P.S. Send a picture of yourself also. P.S. This letter might be messy. I don't want my parents to see it. So there's, <laughs> there's an underground letter. You know, millions and millions of kids are underground listener types. They really are. And the old man, of course, the old man thinks uh, Jackie Jackie's really funny. You know, that's his idea of humor. Now, uh, here's another kid. You curious about this? This is this is what, what an effect of an actual show will have on a kid. Now, I got a letter from an old lady, and she admitted she was an old. She admitted she was. She just started writing and says, I'm very old lady. She says, in the show you did the other night about music, about scary music and so on. You call the new music. I did a whole show on on, uh, on sounds as frightening things. It didn't frighten me at all. And she goes on. And uh, the same show. Listen to this. And this one is printed. Now, certain schools teach kids how to write, you know, in the old script way. Other schools show kids how to print. They don't really write. They print. And I've noticed, interestingly enough, that almost all the kids that have learned the printing method are incredibly bad spellers. <laughs> now, I don't know what the connection is, but when you get it, you know, when you get a thousand letters a week, you begin to see a lot of interesting uh, uh, drifts of things. You see a tenor. Well, anyway, this kid says, Dear Shep, 
I listen to your show every chance I get. As you may recall, you played a record of two doors squishing on one of your shows. When you did it, I was in my bed. It was pitch black when you played that record. I was scared half to death. I almost screamed. I usually get scared easily. The slightest noise, and I get so scared, I get a cramp in my stomach. Well, so finally I yelled for my mother. No one came. The music continued on. I looked around my room, and I saw this five-foot monster my brother made out of paper. I was scared stiff. After the show was over, I turned the radio off. I still was scared, but I finally got to sleep. You and your Jews harp are a mystery to me. I am puzzled. To me, you're just another voice. I have never seen what you look like. Same with your Jews harp. Can you draw me a rough sketch of what a Jews harp looks like? I would like to play one. It sounds great, yet it scares me. P.S. I do not think I am an outsider. <laughs> Cordially yours, Mark. I am ten and a half years old. That's an actual letter. Now, do you want to hear the the music that scared Mark? Now, now get it ready in there, Tony. Okay. No, that's not the one. No, it's the other one. No, no, it's the other one, Tony. I'm sorry. No, no, that's the wrong one. It's the other. It's the other cut. No, 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 no. No, no, it's not on that. It's the other LP. It's the other LP. You got you picked the wrong one there, Tony. Now, now, stop the record for a second. By the way, that hum is supposed to be in it, in case you're curious. That's part of the composition. So don't go in there and try to try to try to get the hum out of there. That's part of the composition. I mean, you uh, that's I'm sorry. <laughs> it's called electronic music, Tony. You. <laughs> Something like this. This is. Uh, I, I think I predicted this uh, again. Uh, I, I'm beginning to feel subconsciously a little like a like a, a resty sitting on top of a mountain or something. But uh, you know the 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 whole field of found art. You know the the uh, the field of art that is made out of found objects, and so a guy will find a toilet seat cover or something, and he'll uh, this. Yeah, this is a, this is a big thing. 
and he'll make uh, make a whole display of it. And just hang up. It's found art. Don't worry about that other cut. We're not going to use it, Tony. So don't don't edit. Don't put it in. Just don't worry about it. Just sit still and listen. Now, <laughs> now the found art is is literally that. Uh, used to be people created art, or at least there's another school of field, the you know school of art. You create this image, you create this picture, and so forth. But found art uh, was a big thing a few years ago. It's it's getting a little old now, and we're returning to formalism, curiously enough. But that's uh, that was a period. Well, now found music is something else, which is a part of art. You know, just a found music. So what you do with found music is you use random sounds. You know, this is like W.R. New York. This is the week the pros pick the pros. The 1970 TV Guide All-Pro Football Team, selected by the Professional Football Writers of America, will be published in this week's TV Guide. The writers have chosen a 24-man offensive-defensive super team from the American and National Conferences of the National Football League. The TV Guide 1970 All-Pro Football Team, plus complete Super Bowl details in this week's issue of TV Guide. Look for Johnny Cash and June Carter on the cover. TV Guide, New York's biggest-selling weekly magazine. America's biggest-selling weekly magazine. TV Guide, on sale everywhere. What do you do when the music stops? Where are you then? Where are you then? When you drop full blown on all the mountaintops? Where are you then, my friend? What do you see when your pupils contract? When you're out in the alley after your act, and you're not quite whole, and the straight world's intact. Then, my friend, you may think drugs are the answer to all the things you may think are wrong with the world. But with that answer, nothing changes except you. And if too many of you choose that answer, where are we then, my friend? Where are we then? The preceding was brought to you by the National Institute of Mental Health. Well, old ShopRite's with us again here. Offering more meats at lower prices this week with a real budget-stretching sale. They're on hand again. Boneless, thick-cut brisket corned beef, 49 cents a pound. Oh, boneless, fresh butt pork roast, 49 cents a pound. It's a little embarrassing to say that. Loin-side pork loins, 49 cents a pound. Where else, of course, ShopRite? They have, for example, uh, Florida seedless grapefruit, 10 for 59 cents. Ideal for throwing. Fancy Macintosh apples, a three-pound bag for 29 cents. ShopRite, get on there. Live in style. ShopRite, supermarket, of course. Friday night, January 15th, the STP Fight of the Month on WOR moves to Miami Beach in a 10-rounder between Floyd Patterson and Levi Forty. This is Van Patrick. Join Don Dumpy and me for the blow-by-blow and all the excitement at 9.45 New York time, Friday night, January 15th on WOR. Uh, that's a, no, really. You know that that one of the I was I was part of a great of a great uh, experiment one time. 
using found music. John Cage. Uh, some years ago, John Cage, who's a, a fine contemporary composer, you've probably heard of his works. Well, Cage used to call me when I was on late at night, and we were, he used to, he was a listener. And so he wrote a composition, well, wrote, I mean, created a composition for ten radios, tuned by three musicians at random, <laughs> and on the stage. And so when uh, he would conduct it, he would, uh, you know, the, the radios would all be heated up. They'd be up on the stage. There were loudspeakers all over the auditorium. This was done at Carnegie Hall. And uh, at the moment it, it would start, one of the musicians would slowly bring up his radio, and you'd hear uh, whatever was on. You see, the point is they didn't know what was on. They would just tune around. And so you may hear uh, you may hear a guy saying, And now the news, the weather today. And then they'd quickly turn, and the next thing you'd hear this long uh, sound of... Uh, uh, maybe a piece of rock music, but it would all be all jumbled up and, and, and had a kind of symphonic mixture of it. So he called me and he said, now, this is going to be performed when you're on the air. He said, you're going you're gonna to be part of this thing <laughs> and, and your show. So uh, in the middle of all this, my show kept returning all the time in the middle of this John Cage. Now, this is found electronic music. In other words, he's using electronic techniques and he's taking found objects which is just what's out on the air there. It can be almost anything from a bulletin to, uh, you know, to some uh, Scarlatti uh, can be found. Anything from police reports to, you know, God knows what. But uh, found music, found music is different. Now, let's take, take for example, if you're, if you're sitting in, in, uh, at home, and, uh, of course, a lot of things have to do with the frame in which it's put. Something is not a piece of art, really, until you put a frame around it and say it is. In fact, many artists have said art is anything you can get away with. So uh, <laughs> that's quite true. So if if uh, if you decide that your your art your 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 medium of expression is uh, sustenance of the masses, you have to have some pompous jazz to attach to it. See, that means you go out and you buy uh, a piece of pumpkin pie at uh, Horn and Hard Art, and you quickly rush it down to the Museum of Modern Art, and you put it in this case, and uh, you, you, you entitle it uh, The Big Slice, and then it's a piece of art. Or, uh, I'm giving somebody an idea already, see, and you have to change it every hour on the hour, because it gets a little gamey after a while, see. So uh, that's part of it. It's dynamic, you see. It, it begins to ferment, and you make that as a comment, too. So, uh, uh, found art can be, and found music can be a lot of things. For example, if you have a refrigerator in your house that comes on, see, you, you, you know how refrigerators sometimes come out here? <laughs> well, if you could get yourself a tape recorder and record that and put an echo chamber on it, and then it goes, and then you know how when it stops, sometimes they go, clunk. <laughs> Okay, it goes like this. <laughs> now that's a imitation of a of a of an amplified uh, refrigerator. You see, you you put a little echo chamber on it, then you you repeat the tape on itself, and then you give it a name, see, a provocative name. You could, you don't just call it refrigerator. So what do you call it? Is uh, you can be sure. That's the title of the composition. 
to you bring all kinds of little connotations, Westinghouse, uh, etc. So now here is found music. Give me that thing again, Tony. No, no, over there, over there, Tony. That 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 that, that LP that you just played. The other one. There it is. Now this is found music. No, that's not it again. That's the one you just played. I'm sorry. No, we keep playing the wrong one. Get that one off. We're not going to use it tonight. <laughs> so to prevent further confusion. Now, go to the next cut. Just pick it up and don't cue it up, Tony. Just lay it on on the same LP. The next cut. Just just lay it on there, Tony. And just bring it up. I'm going to show you this. made of found sounds that's the that's a door squeaking and uh you, and it, there's a couple of other sounds in there for example uh they hit one note on an audio oscillator you know boop, and they clip it and they put it on a tape and repeat it over and over again that's that little see i can do it myself watch music <laughs> and uh, this uh, this uh, scared the daylights out of this kid hear this thing now sounds can do that to you you know sometimes uh, I remember one of the most hair-raising sounds I heard a tape of it that was done on a on a radio show some time ago there, there was a radio show that used to specialize in that you know we don't have much horror in our in our uh, productions anymore. You know, whenever I've never, I've never been really scared by a horror movie. You're fascinated, entertained, but scared? No, I, I don't think many people are frightened by a movie because you seem to be always just looking at it. You're an observer, and it doesn't seem to have personal danger to you. Somehow, whatever it is that causes you to be frightened, and yet. Uh, you take something like a sound can be very, very subtly, eerily frightening. Yeah, one of the great one of the great uh, shows at one time that used this type this technique was Lights Out, and they used to use sounds to create a genuine feeling of horror. Now I'm going to give you an example of one of the things they did. I, I won't be able to do it, but I'll give you an example of what they did. Uh, there was a scene where, and this caused a fantastic uproar in the country. In fact, in many ways, historically, 
that show was a far better example of uh, radio in action than the so-called War of the Worlds and that, which was just a kind of a gimmicky documentary, but, uh, you know, the famous Orson Welles thing. But the one that really used to scare people, if you've ever had a chance to hear tapes and that of it, it still does it, is this, well, Lights Out, and there was another one, Witch's Cave, though, yeah, I remember that, uh, and uh, the, the Hermit's Cave. That Those were really kind of pale copies of the original one, which was Lights Out. And the, the announcer would come on before the show and say, Lights Out. That's what he did. It had an echo chamber. To properly enjoy the following program, you must turn your light 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 and you were supposed to actually partake of this. In other words, how many of you do anything to throw yourself into a production? In other words, you'd be surprised at the difference there is to listening to my show, for example, in the dark. I have had more comments over the past four or five years from people who maybe in bed or something, they, they turn the radio on and they turn uh, the lights out, of the eerie sensation of somebody really, you know, the whole thing has a different different aura about it in the dark. In short, your tactile surroundings actually change your attitude towards something. If you were to go into a theater, a Broadway theater, and... The Broadway theater was lit up like, say, a gymnasium. Bright lights, and people kept coming up and sitting down and eating sandwiches. There'd be no way for you to enjoy Hamlet. But the minute the lights are out, and everybody around you begins to sort of fade off into that great vast audience darkness, just vast black shapes, and the light on the stage slowly comes up and you hear the first sound of the ghost oh oh poor Yordic you're ready (laughs) now that's one of the reasons why so many things seem far more effective in the theater than they do in uh, reading, uh, or say even in the movies, because the movies has a different atmosphere. Uh, people are continually getting up and moving and sitting down, and you can smell the popcorn and all. And so it's very hard to <laughs> to get into that kind of thing in the movies. And so there's a subtle difference. Uh, television, people never seem to get deeply involved in television, although they will watch it a great deal. Involvement, no. Because you always are doing this in almost in an en masse situation. There's four or five of you sitting around. The TV set is playing. You're drinking beer and all that. And uh, you're not really involved. You're just sort of a, of a kind of a vicarious spectator. Radio is another story. Most people think they're the only ones who listen to my show. They do. They, they, and <laughs> they're, really, they're kind of a little disturbed when they find that there's others. And uh, they also have a feeling that all the others, if they are listening to the show, are just like they are. 
They're a little disturbed that they may find, let's say, that John Lindsay listens. That would be, if you were to mention this to somebody, they'd say, well, what are you doing? Name-dropping, Shepard? They don't like to hear that, see? And uh, it gets it gets kind of kind of interesting to to know that that uh, that the surroundings, the tactile, interesting, it becomes significant that the tactile surroundings that you involve yourself in a thing in make all the difference in your attitude towards it. And so, if you hear the radio while you're driving your car, and many of you are probably listening to me right now, you tend, of course, it's a very private experience. You're in your car. You're driving your car. You don't think of yourself as an audience. You're not. You're a driver. And uh, this thing is coming out of the dashboard of your car. And it seems to be a very private thing. It's just you and this voice, this thing coming out of the car, out of the dashboard. It's like part of your car. It's an appliance. And so you don't really have much genuine respect for it. And you just take it. There it is. You turn it off. You go on. That's the end of it. And you can turn it off. That's important, too. Now... You go into the theater, you pay $9 a seat. Right there. The Times has covered it. And it's beginning to build. And you see this great edifice, and you walk in, and there are 2,000 seats, and 2,000 people, and the lights go down, and the curtain goes up, and there's a great fanfare. may be pure corned beef and cabbage. But you're never aware of it. <laughs> it's such an experience. This is called ritual. Uh, this is why churches, the most effective churches, have always been ritual conscious. Where, you know, things are tremendous, buildings, great uh, cathedrals and stained glass and bells and costumes, the whole business. And this is, uh, this is part of the whole, the total experience well, let me tell you what Lights Out did. They had this scene where, where uh, there was a guy barricaded on the 23rd story of a building in Manhattan. And he was barricaded in this room. And the, the voices were trying to get him to come out. And he apparently, he, he never said. That was part of the horror. It's the best horror is never stated. If you, if you, it's like a joke. It's like humor. The minute you tell people you're about to tell a joke, it ain't a joke. Sorry. And uh, if you're, if you, if you think you're a good joke teller, friends, listen to a pro here once. Uh, if you think you're funny, and a lot of guys think they're great at jokes, never grab a guy's elbow and say, "Hey, why did I hear a great joke? Hey, did you hear the joke about?" You've already lost them. What you do is look very deadpan and say, Say, uh, I just came from a bar. And he says, What? What What do you mean? What happened? Say, Well, you know this. I was sitting in the bar and these three Franciscan monks come in. And by then he's looking at you. Yeah, so. And one of them had this dachshund. And the dachshund was playing a harmonica. Well, already you've got him going. They said, You can tell the standard joke, but as if you were there when it happened. It's very different. So, anyway. Here's the story. The 23rd floor. And there was a man barricaded in a room. And you could hear a priest or somebody trying to convince him that he should open the door and come out. And whoever was in the room was desperate. 
And you heard a police sergeant. Then you heard two people. Bring his wife in. And you heard the wife come in, and she's talking to him. Please, please. And I don't. I'll never... Uh, we'll forget all about it and all this. Don't uh, You could hear the hysteria growing. And then all of a sudden, for some reason or other, you are in the room. You've come... This is one of the great things you can do with sound. You've come from outside the room to in the room. And you hear this window going up. And very faintly, down in the distance, you hear traffic. The sound of horns. And you hear the sound of just general traffic noises. And it just stayed there for a second. You could hear wind blowing. It's, you know, 23 stories up. And then all of a sudden, you heard something that sounded like a scrape on the windowsill. And you could hear a few faint cries from way down on the ground. And then the sound, just the sound of wind. And the microphone followed him all the way down. And you heard then that sound, a kind of whoomp. Something hit with a faint. Oh, what a sound. What a sound it made. And that was the end of the show. And people all over the country were just flipping. It was so unbelievably realistic. But the sound, they never told you what he did. They didn't say any more. You never heard the, the voice of the man even. You just knew it was a man. You don't know why he did it. But that sound. And you know how they did it? Actually in the studio? Well, on the queue, when they had the the faint sounds of, of street traffic. They actually used street traffic. They had taken a microphone way over here in Rockefeller Center someplace, and they had put this microphone out on like the 83rd story. They just picked up a little faint traffic. They actually used the real thing. That's what scared them because it really sounded real. And then at the moment when this was to happen, they timed it very carefully. They had the sound of the wind blowing across the microphone and in the studio, which was a high-ceiling studio they were using, they had this big ladder that went all the way to the ceiling. It was about, uh, oh, maybe 25, 30 feet up. The way up, big, one of these big high studios. They all kind of used to have tremendous studios and lights way up there. And at the base of this ladder, they had gotten two big squares of sidewalk concrete. I mean, the big squares. It was like a section of sidewalk, actually, about six or seven feet long and, you know, sidewalk width, maybe five, six feet wide. And here was the concrete resting right on the floor. And next to the concrete was a microphone just aimed right at that center of that concrete. And on cue, the sound man at the top of this baby, at the top of the ladder, dropped a 28-pound watermelon. Well, it was a sound. You could just hear this thing split open. Somehow it just went boom. I mean, it didn't just go boom or thud. It split. It was a, a fantastic. It just a you just say it's a squashing. Oh, terrible and and tremendous 
violence, the impact was, was enormous. It was as if you were standing at ground level, six feet away, when this guy landed right next to you. Well, that <laughs> that's one of the classic ones. And there was another one that they did. It's a fantastic classic one where it was it was a a, uh, a guy was planning a surprise party on his wife, or he had a gift or something. He was going to surprise her, and it started. It part of the horror of it. It started out very innocently, and uh, he arrived home ahead of her, and uh, they had a they had one of these Japanese screens. You know, the you know, kind of with the peacocks paint. I know. They had a peacocks painted all over it. See, so he decided he was going to surprise her. And he was hi- he was going to hide behind the screen. And then when she came in, he, she wasn't expecting him home at that hour or something like that. And uh, she came into the house. And you could hear her walking. And there was a kind of a pause. And then you hear her going into the next room. And uh, she closes the door. All of this was done with with uh, with sound. She never said anything. You you've had the feeling well, she's walked into the room and she's you know she's taking off her coat or something, and then you hear this telephone. She's picking up the phone and she's calling. She's calling her friend. She says, "Madge, there's somebody in the room. Somebody's hiding behind the screen." What am I going to do? I don't know. No, it can't be George. George is out of town. No, somebody in the next room. Hide behind the screen. He's out there now. What's good will be do to call the police? It'll take him 20 minutes to get here. This guy's going to kill me. What am I going to do? And there's a conversation. She hangs up, and you hear a drawer opening. And she... She calls again, and she says, Madge, do you remember that, do you remember that sword Charles brought home from the war, that Japanese sword? I'm going to have to do something, it's the only thing I've got. Okay, and look, you call the police, for God's sakes, quick, I've got to do something. She hangs up, and you hear her walk across the room. And there was a pause. This was right at the end of the show. They built it up beautifully. You hear this guy. There was a pause. And then you hear... You hear the sound of this sword. It just goes... And it cut. You could hear the sound of something cutting. My God, she split his head open with the sword. What a sound. It just went... And then you heard her... There was a gasp. When she saw what she had done and who it was. And from the distance you hear the sound of sirens coming. And that was the end of the show. Well, that was another fantastic sound. You know how they did that one? Well, they actually got a sword on this one. And it was a quite a quite a trick. They took the sword and they had suspended between they took two nails. And two nails attached to two strings to the ceiling. Now listen to what they did. And they had suspended from the ceiling a cabbage. A big head of cabbage. And at the moment of decision, the denouement, the, the 
microphone picked up the sound of that sword going... And it cut through that cabbage. Do you know that the sound of a cabbage being sliced right in half is, a, is, is exactly the same sound of a skull being sliced in two? What a sound. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing it. It's a terrible thing to be doing. <laughs> but you know, you can do, you can do so, so many insane things with sound. Sounds are far more frightening than sights. And I think many a monster movie completely uh, louses up the minute they show you the monster. The minute the monster shows up and you see all that polyethylene going up and down, you know, and that, that fake gorilla or whatever it is. But if, if uh, one of the great, uh, one, of the, one of the very famous, there's another one they did that was famous along that line, and this was a great classic, was a guy uh, who was working in his cellar, and uh, he was, a, he was a, uh, a biologist, zoologist, chemist, and uh, he was working on some kind of algae. That they had uh, that they had found in, in an iceberg somewhere, and he was trying to grow this algae. He was trying to grow some kind of a some kind of a uh, culture. And he's down there, and he comes upstairs. And this is all like within five minutes after he put this stuff into the agar to to grow this culture. When you begin to hear this terrible sound, oh, it was a it was a sickening sound. It was a combination of of your feet being drawn out of quicksand, and it was a, the sound of all all the ucky icky ugly sounds you can have you just ooh it was a sound like sucking and absorbing and, and writhing and ooh it was a fantastic sound and this sound you hear this guy scream and whatever this stuff is it's coming up the stairs and it's and, and your, your mind your imagination could conceive of all the green slime <laughs> the ultimate green slime and uh, this guy, you can hear this guy, he, he, he's dying this incredible, horrible death. Whatever it is, this thing is just, a, it's, it's not eating him. You know what it's doing. And that's what made it even scarier. Well, it, it, was, it, was, it was digesting him. <laughs> How would you like to be digested inch by inch? And, and it was a, de a devouring algae, but it, di it digested things. It didn't eat them or nibble them. It digested them. It was like he was caught in a giant bath of digestive juices. And it was going... <laughs> Ooh, wow. <laughs> and so somewhere out there, they're hiding, man. And they got every reason to hide. Just be careful, friends. Tonight, beware of the green slime. I repeat, the green slime. Hey, hey, hey.